Good morning, Delaware. I thought I'd leave a little extra pause there, so it might sound like an April Fool's joke. All you have to do is look out your window uh, to see this, <laughs> this year's April Fool's joke. It stopped me dead in my tracks. I, I was getting ready. I looked out the window. Big, fluffy, white snowflakes. What? <laughs> what? Wasn't it like 70 degrees like two days ago? I yes, know. That's yeah. Gage. Tell us behind the board there. Hey, Gage. How's good it going? afternoon. Because, wait, oh, April Fool's. It's good morning. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did that one on purpose. I know. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and good morning, Nicole. Good morning. I mean, I made it. I got my snow boots on. I've got my sweatshirt on. I had to pull my uh, Blue Jackets heavy wet winter coat out of uh, storage again. So mm-hmm. to come in today. So, yeah. Anyway, so I got to tell you, yesterday we were in C. CVS. We mm-hmm. got our shots, our, our second boosters. Yeah. And we go to the register to check out because we bought a few things. And the woman behind the counter looked just like Kristen Chenoweth. <gasps> she did. <laughs> She'd never heard of her. So Joyce pulls out her phone and shows her the picture yeah. of Kristen Chenoweth. And she says, oh, that's a nice compliment because, I mean, yeah. It, she's it, gorgeous and she's adorable. Gorgeous, yeah. Yes. And she's going to be in New Albany tomorrow night. Exactly. Tomorrow and, Yeah. Oh, no, it's a late show. It's like 8 o'clock or yeah, so. Yeah, so it's mm-hmm. a regular time, unlike the show we went to with Audra McDonald a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it was ago. like 5.30. It yeah, was like, so. Audra's an early bird. Yes, she is. Not so. Kristen. Anyway, that's going to be fun. So, hey, we got a fun one coming up, too, at the library with the uh, little uh, deal with the Clippers. Yes, we do. I am very excited. It just came through my inbox yesterday, and we got it out and everything like that. The weekend of Easter... We are partnering with all of the Central Library Consortium libraries, and we all get $2 off tickets to see any of the games that weekend. That's right. If you show up with your library card or if you buy tickets online and uh, put in the right code, uh, that code being, I'm kind of right in front of me here, reading. Yes. Right, great code. Yes. yes. You get $2 off either reserved seats or bleacher lawn seats, and you can do it, like I said, either online or at the uh, at the uh, gate, at the gate, yeah, and, and they, they have a lot of fun stuff planned for the weekend. Yeah, the Friday's April fifteenth. It's an afternoon or late afternoon six fifteen game. Free Clippers wall calendars for the first twenty five hundred fans. Mm-hmm. And, and then on Saturday, uh, no special event then, but on Sunday. Uh, it's an afternoon game. Game time's at one oh five. You can get your picture taken with the Easter, Easter Bunny. Easter Bunny. That is Easter. That is Easter Sunday that they are playing on that on that game. That's right. We've got two pictures of our, our grandkids. Uh, uh, with the Easter Bunny, and one of the grandkids is just happy as yeah. a clam, and the other one is just looks like she's going to burst into tears at any moment. Right, right. It is, it is not good at all to um, to have your little ones. You know, you find out really early whether or not your little ones are um, good with mascots or not, and uh, then you just realize if you want to give them a lifetime of torture or if you want to let them um, stay away from them. <laughs> So our guest today is Terry Liebenson, who is going to be our guest at the library a week from tomorrow, April 9th. Uh, so we are going to have her in the second half of the show. She is not in the studio. She's going to be calling in for the second half of the show. So what have you been reading, listening to, binging on? I, you mentioned that you finished the book you talked about last week. I did, yes. Last week I talked about A History of Wild Places, mm-hmm. and I had said that I, I had a very different idea going into it. I thought it was going to be more like whimsy and magical realism and things like that, and then it kind of just turned into like a cult novel, <laughs> <laughs> and, which is fine. Those can be good, and they are good sometimes, and this book was good. Um, I had not read up until there was a twist, you know, Mm. how some people like a twist. So there was a big, big, big twist. And I won't give away what it was. but No spoiler alerts on this show. Not at all. Hmm. But I will say that it was satisfying. Ah, Okay. Um, 
did I feel like it was a little like mm, maybe manipulative or <laughs> did I feel like contrived mm-hmm. or what's the what's the deus ex machina you yes, know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah did I feel like it was a little maybe <laughs> <laughs> but was I satisfied yes I was okay that's good <laughs> and then I started after I finished that the one that I had been putting on pause because I wanted to give it my full devotion is Mindy McGinnis's new title The Last Laugh came out which is the oh, I can't wait to read that because the first one was so good yeah, this is the second in her uh, in her duology of the uh, the initial insult, the last laugh. Both of these books are uh, takes on Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the first one, she does the ca- uh, cask of Amontillado. Amont- did I say that? Amontillado. Right? Amontillado. Thank you. Um, <laughs> wine, wine, live burial. There you go. <laughs> Everything I know about Spanish, I learned from Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> Fine Corinthian leather. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so there's that one. There's um, oh, there's a bunch. There, if you know Poe, there's so many peppered out. Uh, the Telltale Heart, I remember being in that the, the first one. Yes, heavily, yes. Yeah. And the Telltale Heart is coming back in this one. There is a locket that um, that our main uh, character um, Tress is wearing, um, and the locket is um, beating with the pulse. Um, it's it's kind of if you ever wore like a best friends locket in like high school, and you had the best side, and another person had the friend side. Well, she and the girl who she kind of set up tip for dead uh in the first novel um uh they both have each halves of those hearts and mm. so those those come around <laughs> um in the first novel we talked about there was um a point of view that was told from a panther mm-hmm. um that was written in kind of a poetry format and in this book there is a point of view written from a um a gorilla at the because uh, tress the main the gist of the story is it's tiger king plus Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. This really, the first one came up before anybody had ever heard of the Tiger King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The concept I mean, was, was like, already like in in Mindy McGinnis's brain. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, during 2020, Tiger King became a phenomenon. And she was like, oh, well, that's actually kind of the subject of this book. It's a roadside <laughs> zoo that has no, you know, credentials. They don't right. really take care of the animals very well and um, probably not really legal mm-hmm. <laughs> to have the, the exotic animals and um, the this, uh, it's an old town with old money and kind of four like pillar families and um, there's infighting between the families and and then yeah the darkness of like Poe's kind of short stories woven about so I am only like a quarter into this book so I can't give it a full review yet but I am surely enjoying it that's great mm-hmm. and I noticed you also have uh, Invisible Emmy which yes. is the book uh, we're going to be talking about with Terry Liebenson uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to her about that because I really enjoyed that yeah uh, so my book this week, uh, I was I'm I'm trying to catch up on William Ken Kruger because of him uh, coming to 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 Columbus or to Delaware rather in April, and so um, he's coming for this program sponsored by the Friends of the Library on Wednesday, April 26th at the Barn at Stratford. Uh, the tickets are available on Eventbrite, and you can find links at DelawareLibraryFriends.org or at DelawareLibrary.org/events. Mm-hmm. So get that part out of the way first. Uh, Ken Kruger is, um, he's probably best known as a crime writer. That's really his forte. Uh, but he's written two books that are not really crime novels that have been really, really well-reviewed over the over the last few years. And so I read the first one, This Tender Land, uh, this past week. And this is one of the most deeply moving and affecting novels I've read in a long time. That's it, good it is really beautifully written. Uh, this Tenderland, it's it's set in 1932. Most of it is set in Minnesota, uh, which is where uh, Kruger lives. It's about four young orphans who've escaped from this truly brutal 
Indian residential school. Uh, and they're trying to make this desperate attempt to get to the, a possible sanctuary in St. Louis that they, they, they think they know about. Um, there's two brothers, Albert and Odie, and they are not Native American. They were placed in this orphanage because they were told there was no room at the white orphanage when both of their parents died. Uh, their mother had died years ago. Their father died, as, was a bootlegger, and got shot during mm. some kind of criminal event that they never actually found out what it was. What the, the kids never found out. Um, Mose uh, is, uh, is is an Indian. He's a he's mute. He's a Sioux. He's mute due to an assault he suffered as a baby. Mm. And I won't get into much more than that because it, it, I don't want to give away too much of the story. And then there's Emmy. Uh, funny that it's the same title as uh, right. same name as the, the the kids book we're ta- or the teens book we're talking about. But Emmy is a four year old girl, and she's only recently been orphaned by a tornado that that blitzed through Minnesota. But the vicious superintendent of the school wants to adopt her. And there's, it's not really clear why. That comes into it through the rest of the book. Um, and these three boys simply can't allow this vicious woman to adopt this girl, so they take her with them. Mm-hmm. They take her with them when they go. Uh, the, the four vagabonds then set out in a canoe that they've Basically, they haven't really stolen it because it belonged to the mother of the little girl, so she sort of could have given okay to take it, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, they're hoping to get to St. Louis and find this refuge that they think they can get there. Um, Their breakaway from the residential school is tense. The the, the tension in that chapter of the book is just amazing. So well written. Uh, But along the way, they're exposed to some of the best and the worst of humanity. this, like I said, this is set in 1932, so it's the depths of the Depression. It's uh, the spring, it's, so it's before the election. Um, they see things like the farms that have gone to, to, to seed. They've gone to ruin because of the drought and because of falling commodity prices caused by the Depression. They, they spend a little time in a Hooverville, a shanty town that's named in dishonor of the president mm-hmm. uh, who took the blame for the Depression. They hook up with a traveling revival show that uh, might remind readers of Elmer Gantry or maybe uh, people who know their uh, history may, might remind them of uh, Amy Semple McPherson. Mm. And the, the, the revival preacher uh, uh, is Sister Eva, fascinating character, very well drawn. Uh, and then they suffer the pangs of hunger and loss. Um, Mose especially feels the injustice that's been done to Native people in the in the in the uh, uh, North America over the past hundreds of years. So uh, one of the things that makes this book really good is that Ken Kruger has done his homework. Everything he writes in here feels accurate mm-hmm. and just seems to sum up the emotions and the the fear and the resilience of the the Midwestern people during the Depression. Uh, he gets right down to the things like, what would they be eating? What would they be wearing? What would they be listening to on the radio or in vaudeville or on uh, in the movies at that point? Uh, but really, what really struck me was how he de- developed these two themes in the book. First is the terrible price of loneliness. And then the second theme is the unlimited possibilities of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, uh, the, the book is told from the point of view of the younger brother, Odie, and he <laughs> wise beyond his years because it's the the writer it's sort of metafiction because it's not told like an eight year old would tell it it's told like an adult remembering what the eight year old was going through right and so 
there's the constant understanding that some of what he's talking about is being exaggerated. Some of it is because he has no idea as an eight-year-old what's going on. And part of it is because he's an adult who knew that as an eight-year-old nothing was going on. Yeah. So there's that kind of metafiction. There's also a little bit of magical realism in the book, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the character of Emmy, uh, who's just uh, – until you get to the very end and realize how that all ties together, it's, uh, it's kind of like, what? What? No. And then you get to it and say, oh. oh. <laughs> <Every> <laughs> sort of like your twist. Uh-huh. But, but you know it's coming. Uh-huh. So it's not like a setup. Right. It, it feels like it's well um, foreshadowed. Yes. So it, Everything really that you're saying, like I feel like I'm in the zone of like a Mark Twain, like a Huckleberry Finn. There's a lot. Does it of, feel uh, like that? He said, yeah, he says in the prologue to, or the, the epilogue to the book mm-hmm. that when he started, he was thinking about writing a Depression era Huckleberry Finn. It feels like it. And there's a lot of that. Uh, there's, and, and in fact, there's some of the same things like the, uh, the the revival show could be seen as sort of like the Duke and the Dauphin mm-hmm. uh, characters mm-hmm. in, in Huckleberry Finn. Yes. Uh, but there is also some of John Steinbeck from like uh, The Grapes, Grapes of, of Wrath. Wrath. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of John Dos Passos from the, the USA trilogy mm-hmm. because there's kind of these um, moments when they talk about when he talks about history the way dos pasos just steps out of the book and tells you this is what was happening at this time uh and and again there's a little of elmer gantry uh the sinclair lewis book so sounds great it is it is really good if you enjoy historical fiction uh especially historical fiction that's actually written in the lifetimes of people we've known Mm -hmm. i mean my mother was born the year this book was written was Mm -hmm. is set in Mm -hmm. so i mean she knew this kind of life uh I think you can really enjoy it. I'm really looking forward to meeting Ken Kruger and getting to talk to him about this book. Uh, Jean Whitlinger from the Friends of the Library, though, she tells me, um, she's the one who helps us set up these author visits. She tells me that Ordinary Grace is his real masterpiece. Okay. That's the one I'm reading next. In fact, I've got to take uh, a drive and I'm going to start listening to it today. So anyway, I think you'll enjoy that. And I I hope you're going to, I hope you've already got your tickets for Ken Kruger because we've sold quite a few of them already. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I think you're going to not be disappointed. So we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Terry Liebenson about her visit and about Emmy and her friends. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Off the Shelf. I'm here with Nicole Fowles. Hello, and, hello. And our guest today is Terry Liebenson, author of, as of right now, five books about Emmy and her friends, and a sixth one coming out next month. But for purposes of this interview, is going to be our guest at the Delaware County District Library a week from tomorrow, April 9th, at the Delaware Library at 2 o'clock. So welcome, Terry. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. Well, I have to tell you something. Um, I, you know, the library brings in authors a lot. We bring in, and whether it's by Zoom or whether we have people who come in in person or mm-hmm. whether we do writing workshops and things like that. This uh, about a week ago, I was having dinner with my granddaughter, who is in seventh grade, mm-hmm. middle school, here in the mm-hmm. Olentangy School District, and I said, "We're bringing in Terry Liebenson." She's like, "Can I go?" Oh. <laughs> and I said, um, I, "You know, I, I know the director, but I can get you in." Uh, so, so we are going to be there to see you at the, that. That I never get that kind of reaction from her about what I do for my work. So it was. So thank you, thank you very much for opening that door oh, for me. So when we set this up. Um, Nicole told me you were on deadline, but I hear good things about your deadline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was mentioning that um, I I thought I was I was going to be uh, holed up for about another week, but um, I had the I had a, a great uh, flow of thoughts this week. That rarely happens, and uh, I finished as of this 
morning, the first draft, I should say. Trust me, it goes through many, many more. Oh, sure. (laughs) Wow, that's so great getting the first draft done. That is a huge (laughs) uh, landmark. So congratulations. Can you give a a secret? Is it part of the Emmy series or is this going to be um, something separate? It is part of the series. It's uh, the seventh book, actually. So I think it's the first time I've I've written one of the one of the um, books in the series before the previous one has come out. Right. So I am completely okay. confused as <laughs> to what I'm talking about today because. My plots are going to are going to be completely mixed up. I'm <laughs> talking about the seventh book and the sixth book, the wrong characters. So we fair can, warning. We can keep you on track because both of us started with book one. Right. So we both we both started with Invisible yeah. Emmy, and and then I've also read Positively Izzy. So mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so great. let me ask you just right off the bat, what do you do? How do you get into the mind of middle school students so convincingly <laughs> that even middle school students are convinced? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I still wonder. Um, well, I, I know when I first when I first wrote Emmy, um, I I approached it kind of autobiographically. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I used to write a comic strip. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a syndicated comic strip. Wrote it for about fourteen years, and it was from the viewpoint of a work at home mom with two kids, husband. It was it was it was basically me, except mm-hmm. instead <laughs> of being a cartoonist, she was a she was a graphic designer. Um, and I, I, I've always just kind of written from my own personal point of view. It just, it helps me. And, um, so I approached Emmy kind of the same way, but instead of writing from my point of view as an adult, I kind of harkened back to it when I was about 12 or 13, because even though I don't remember the day-to-day stuff I did, I definitely remember all the feelings I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I'm frozen in time from I, then. Um, sometimes I, was I think really, we never get really... over junior high school. No, so, yeah, yeah, it's traumatic. Oh, no, it's I know. Years of trauma. For, yeah, I've, I've I've blocked out quite a bit of it, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember my personality. Yeah, it's it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's still there a bit, but um, yeah, I was really really shy, like painfully shy, mm-hmm. and very artistic, and I tended. to to express myself best through uh, through my art and writing and comics and stuff like that. So I just used that voice, and um, it was the it was the only book where I didn't have any kind of structure when I was writing. I just I just wanted to see where it would take me, mm-hmm. and I didn't have a deadline either, so that helped. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, the pressure was kind of off. <laughs> so that, but yeah, yeah, and then and then Emmy formed, yeah. So you did uh, th- uh, three more books after Emmy before you did Truly Tyler, where the boy was the center character. Uh, did what mm-hmm. kind of a, what kind of a challenge was that to switch from being in the mind of uh, so, kids who were relatable to you in the sense that you were a, a girl in, in that in that setting mm-hmm. to switching to being a boy in that setting? Because I, I mean. It's Everybody's rotten in junior high school, yes. but I think boys are even more rotten than Particularly. girls. I mean, I, I don't know how you make that switch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they were more rotten. I, I think uh, everything was expressed differently. Um, I I had a really rough time. It was um, it it was the hardest book to write for mm-hmm. me because because yeah, I had to make that switch. Plus, it was it was the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So it was my mm-hmm. pandemic book. And huh. I rewrote that thing like four or five times. I can't, I kind of blocked that out myself, <laughs> <laughs> but it was hard. 
it was so hard. And I was overthinking everything I was overthinking. I made the plot way too complicated at first. I I was overthinking the boys' viewpoints, and I was getting a little too psychological and reading mm. books about it. And I ended up just at one point when, when nothing was working, and I was, I was really late <laughs> on, <laughs> on every deadline. I, I just kind of took a step back and just kind of remembered, okay, you, you just have to, you have to write authentically. You have to yeah. write from the heart. Forget, mm-hmm. forget about whether it's a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. And that's when everything clicked. And that's when Tyler's voice kind of came out. And then it all came together. And I was so happy with the way it turned out. I was, I was, I was so behind. But once I, once I caught up and once it all came together, it was great. And, and now I don't really have a problem writing for boys. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. doing another one right now with uh, a boy and a girl. Okay. And it's, it's so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was one of the things that I enjoyed most about Invisible Emmy is that it, it is so simple in the fact that it's one day. Yes. It's one day in middle mm-hmm. school, and yet I felt every emotion <laughs> that Emmy felt. I mean, and and I, because I'm reading along and I'm like, I'm like, oh, are we going to, is this plot, you know, is are we going to be, is it the whole year or is it whatever? No, it is. It happened this period, then this period, then after gym, then after lunch. And I was like, oh my gosh. This is exactly it is incredibly authentic. I felt I felt every emotion of my middle school experience. We should note here, Nicole's a lot closer to junior high school than I am. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry for that. I, I apologize profusely. So your your um sixth title is uh Remarkably Ruby, and that's that's one of my favorite characters is the high fiber girl. Baked bean girl is uh, is the lead character. Um, so she's just she's just fun. I just uh, get a kick out of that. You, I, I was looking at your blog and you were talking about how your art has evolved over the course of, of the of the six books. And um, so, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about how that's happened and what's what's changed? Oh sure. Um, well, I think it happens to most most uh, creators, uh, most artists. Um, for instance, going back to my comic strip reference, uh, the characters uh, changed so much. I, I barely recognized them from when I first started. Um, uh, they tended to be a little more caricaturist. Car- mm-hmm. car- I don't know if this is a word. Caricaturistic? Yeah. No. Caricaturist. Yeah, it's early. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then they became kind of more naturalistic looking, like looking more like real people. Toward the end, and and I've I've always kind of uh, gotten in that direction, and it's I think it's the same with Emmy. Um, the character I think in Emmy, the characters have you know like larger heads, smaller bodies, and then they start looking a little like they're they're still cartoon characters, but they start looking a little more realistic, uh, especially in the graphic novel portion. Mm-hmm. Um, as the books have have evolved, and I've gotten a little a little bit more. Um, in tune with my style and uh so yeah it's just it's just a nice nice evolution nice natural evolution i just kind of go with it i like the side by side that you did on the blog of the from emmy and then from the new book mm-hmm. uh i think actually yeah. i think it was from tyler um uh, just seeing yes, them side yes. by side and realize uh, you, and you you point out what's different mm-hmm. and i think it, it really shows the evolution of you as an artist so it's 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 very instructive so mm-hmm. your blog is fascinating by okay. the way so uh, Thank you. So, 
you are going to be uh, visiting the Delaware Main Library on Saturday, April 9th at 2 o'clock. Uh, we ask that people register at DelawareLibrary.org slash events. Mm-hmm. And uh, so can you give us a little uh, teaser about what you're going to be talking about while you're here? Well, sure. Um, usually what I do is I, I have uh, I have a lot of fun images to show. So it's, it's like a PowerPoint um, and I go through my background as a greeting card writer because that's, that's why I came to Cleveland in the first place. That's where I live oh, okay. um, mm-hmm. because I worked for American Greetings for quite a long time. And uh, I'm, origi- I'm originally from Pennsylvania, so not too far. But um, then I, I kind of go into my background as a cartoonist doing the comic strip. Um, I talk about um, how I segued into the whole book thing and became an author. And um, I show a lot of really fun and funny images. I talk about my process in writing these books and illustrating them Um, and a little bit of character background, stuff like that. And then the the highlight is I bring up uh, volunteers to draw with me. And this is why I'm so happy I'm doing an in-person event for a change. (laughs) (laughs) I'm used to doing Zoom lately because I really miss it. I I love drawing with kids. And we get to exchange art. It's so much fun. Yeah. Well, great. So, and then I take a lot of Sharpies ready. Yeah. yeah. So, great. Well, <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Perfect. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you a week from tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure Mallory is uh, chomping at the bit to see you too. So thank you so much for being our <laughs> guest today. I do want to make sure that we get a plug in for the Friends of the Library book sale, which is happening tomorrow at the Orange Branch Library from 9 to 3. That's going to be primarily books. There won't be DVDs. So uh, if you're looking for DVDs, wait for the next sale at Delaware. You'll We'll have uh, plenty of them then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and uh, but that's again from nine to three at the Orange Branch Library, uh, and they have a huge selection right now. So it'll be a, it should be a really good book sale. Yeah. So, again, uh, we're almost out of time, but I want to thank Terry Levinson for being our guest, and not only on the show today, but then as our guest at the library on, on April 9th. So yes. thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks to Gage Tellus for keeping us sounding good behind the board there. Sure. Thank you. Of course. Nicole, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And now I guess it's time for us to turn it over to the boys from the city. I guess. So uh, we will see you in the stacks.